0: Welcome to the MBA Insider Podcast. I'm your host, Al D. This is a show designed for aspiring, current, and former MBAs looking for advice on how you can grow your career through an MBA degree. During each episode, I'll talk to MBA students, graduates, and leaders about the MBA experience, navigating the workplace, and career development, so you can learn how to develop and achieve your own version of career success through an MBA and beyond. Hey everyone, welcome back to the NBA Insider Podcast. Happy 2023. This is your host, LD. It's great to be back. I hope you had a nice holiday. I hope you got some time to rest and relax. And as we kick off the new year, I thought it would be a great time to do another solo episode just to check in and to talk about what happened in the fall, what's looking ahead, and then to go through some listener questions. I got a couple questions that came in, and I figured this would be a great time to answer them and to provide some guidance and feedback on navigating the MBA application process, whether or not it's time to go to business school, and just some general career advice. And I just remind you, if you have a question or you have any feedback, please shoot me an email. It's just al at mbaschool.com, or find me on LinkedIn and shoot me a message. Okay, so let's start off with talking about some of the top stories about the MBA land and the MBA education space uh, from fall of 2022. I want to go over some of the main headlines of what's going on in the business school landscape. And I think this is particularly interesting if you are thinking about applying this coming year or perhaps maybe in the next cycle, and will this be a good state of the state, if you will, of what's happening in business school. So I think the first headline is gonna come from probably around the fall of 2022 in October. And this is the headline that the GMAC, or the Graduate Admissions Council, says that applications to business schools worldwide dropped about three and a half percent globally in 2022. So applications were down a little bit globally. And in addition to that, Poets & Quants did some sleuth- sleuthing. And in an article that I'll put in the show notes, they said that in the top 25 programs, there were only three programs that had their application volume rise in this last cycle. That was UNC keenan Flagler, Cornell Johnson, and USC Marshall. So pretty much everyone went down a little bit. Now, some of this is is, is not surprising. And some of this is not concerning in the sense that there were some headwinds that were at play. First and foremost, it's been a wild couple years in the MBA application and admissions landscape just with COVID and everything else. But the other thing that was happening, which is a, a challenge as well as an opportunity, at least for the applicants, is that in many cases, schools, we're competing with companies for talent. As anyone who has been following anything, 2022 was the year of a lot of folks changing jobs or potentially getting raises and other things. And so schools are not just competing for top talent with each other. They're competing with top talent for companies that want to keep them. And that was something that came up first and foremost in in, in the fall and something that is certainly on a lot of MBA admissions directors' minds as they go through this application cycle. So it will be interesting to see what application volume is like for round one and now round two, seeing how it's tracking against last year, but that was one of the first headlines that came up in the fall. The second headline, which is related to this, is just the economy and the implications for the MBAs. So Wall Street Journal came out with an article, which I'll link in the show notes, and this came out in about October as well, but just was talking about how Some of the competitors for the top talent that would have been applied to business school are, in fact, these bigger companies. And instead of wanting their employees to go off to business school, they actually wanted them to stay and stick around. The reason why was particularly at the time in the summer and fall, it was companies were looking for talent. They were looking for top talent. And they were, in a lot of cases, offering up things to keep their top talent which might potentially push someone to not want to apply right away. And so that was another thing that came top of mind. What's interesting is just how things can shift. And since the summer and since this article really came out, there have been a number of things that have been happening in the economy, as anyone who is paying attention or having to fill up their gas at a gas station or buying groceries can tell you. Things have shifted a little bit. And so what's been interesting right now as we think about the economy and the implications, one of the things that is coming up, although perhaps not necessarily been reported just yet, is just how campus recruiting is being impacted by companies right now. There are a number of companies that are continuing on with their traditional recruiting efforts. And there are many that are also reconsidering at the moment, just in light of the economic conditions that many companies are facing. And it's too early to say what's going to happen, particularly because There is still a lot of time left in 2023, but that would be something to continue to keep an eye on. Ideally, schools really want to focus on making sure that their students get jobs, particularly before graduation or within that 90-day window post-graduation, because that is a statistic that many rankings track. And so depending on how hiring goes across different industries and sectors the spring, it'll be interesting to see and, and track how that follows. Just as an example... There's probably a good deal of the top 25 schools that have a pretty sizable chunk of their class that traditionally went into tech. And as we, many of us know, tech is one of the industries that is hiring less and certainly laying off right now. And so what are the implications of that? Now, many of those students will end up finding jobs in other industries or functions. That is something that is well within reason. But how many? And that will be something that we'll want to keep watching and wanting to keep our eyes on. The third headline is just around the launch of new programs and offerings. And we did an episode, had... The One of my good friends, Lindsay Sage from Sage Admit on a couple episodes ago, I'll put it in the show notes where we did a deep dive of some of the new programs and MBA programs and offerings that came out in 2021 and 2022. I won't go into all of them in depth, but even since then, there've been a couple additional ones actually rolled out a full online part-time executive MBA program. And this happened, I believe, right before the Christmas holiday. And then certainly the one I think that made the most headlines because it is the biggest brand that really has come out with it so far is that Wharton launched a fully online executive MBA program, a global MBA program. And the price tag on that was just north of $200,000. This is an area that I am really interested in, keen on myself. Personally, I think that I, I did a full-time MBA. It really worked out for me. That said, I think there is a lot more opportunity in the working professional and part-time MBA space. And I think that you can see that schools are thinking this as well given the amount of new programs that are coming on and some of the diversity of the types of programs and what they're offering and i think this is something that will continue to happen throughout 2023 and beyond okay the fourth top story from the fall is that pay, salary, and compensation continues to be strong. I have an article that I'm looking at from Sydney Lake from Fortune in coming from December. And the title is, MBA grads from these top six business schools landed $200,000 starting pay packages in 2022. Now, the majority of these companies that are offering these tend to be the traditional suspects who do pay the most in terms of consulting firms, investment banks, and venture capital private equity. That said, Uh, you're starting to see, I think, across the board, at least from last year, a lot of schools came out with record employment reports as well as record compensation. And just as an example from this, I have an article I'm looking at from this summer. I'll put in the show notes. It's about how in Darden's class of 2022, there was a 21% jump in the median salary over the previous class. That median salary went up to about $175,000. Now, competition isn't everything, but it certainly is a driver and a reason why many students choose to go get an MBA. It also certainly helps from the ROI equation if, if anyone's doing the math here in terms of what that pay is going to be like afterwards. And also one of the you know, key things that a lot of times schools look at will be the delta, if you will, or the increase, if you will, from what a student came in at versus what they end up going at and really being able to demonstrate that ROI. Now, in a lot of places, there's a reason why this is. And and that I uh, quite honestly was, is that there were a couple industries which tend to pay pretty well who were hiring in droves in 2022. And I think one of those most notably is consulting. And so that is definitely something that is coming up and certainly is positive news if you're someone who cares very much about that ROI. And I'm just looking now and looking at a couple other employer reports and Darden is certainly not the only one that has come out with record numbers. There's plenty of other ones interesting we'll see how that how, how that evolves in in this coming year and if the those industries continue to hire at the rates they're at we might be able to see some more record numbers but if they don't they might drop off and it'll be interesting to see the implications of some of that okay and last but not least in terms of top stories from the fall it you know has to be tech industry and mbas and we started seeing this probably around october once the first round of layoffs started happening but many of the top schools have made overtures towards the tech industry, in particular the tech industry workers who were laid off this coming fall. And there were varying degrees of what overtures meant, but basically at the bottom line is people getting laid off. And a lot of schools saw this as an opportunity, both to get more applicants, and also I, I do think that they absolutely wanted to help people out and show a little bit of empathy and provide people with opportunities. And so you had some schools pull out the red carpet and give fee waivers and waive the testing requirements, uh, things like that. You had other schools who only did a few of those things. But in the end, what many schools did was, and or many schools are doing if they haven't done it yet, is figuring out uh, what can we do to help and what can we do to take advantage of this opportunity because they believe that there are applicants potentially out there who could be a great fit for the school, and they are trying to incent them to consider an MBA, particularly because many of them are at a career juncture. Getting laid off or having going through one of those experiences can be a pretty challenging and traumatic moment, and perhaps they weren't considering business school, but now they might. So those are the top five stories from the fall that came top of mind, and I'm going to link some of these in the show notes. If you want to do a little bit more research, you can learn a little bit more about them. But I also want to give a couple other ones that I think are honorable mention, if you will. I think these are perhaps maybe a little bit underreported, but I still think they have some implications for the broader NBA landscape. Hey there, it's Al. And thanks so much for listening to the NBA Insider Podcast. I wanted to take a quick break to ask you a small favor. I'm loving doing this show, and I hope you're enjoying it too. Unfortunately, it's still pretty hard to spread the word on podcasts, and that's where I would really love your help. If you're enjoying this episode, I would really appreciate it if you take a few minutes to leave a review and rate this podcast on Apple or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts, or simply share it on social media or send it to a friend. I'm incredibly grateful for your support. Thank you. And let's get back to the show. So first and foremost, I'm going to start with the consortium, which is a organization, if you're not familiar with consortium, that advocates for the advancement of underrepresented minorities in the workplace, primarily through helping them and getting more of them into MBA programs. And they do a lot of scholarships, as well as other programming to really help these students who end up going through the consortium and applying to business school to succeed in business school and beyond. I'm a proud consortium fellow. I think that organization does a lot of good for a lot of people. Consortium made headlines this year because they landed two big schools— One is the Kellogg School of Management in Evanston, Illinois. And the second, of course, is the Stanford GSB. Traditionally, consortium was really focused on, I would say, schools in the ranked 10 to 30 range. And over the past maybe couple years, they've started to inch further and further up the ranking chart. Additionally, in many cases in the past, uh, the consortium was pretty intentional about what schools it went to and tried not to get schools that were going to encroach on one another. And now they're really trying, I think, to expand out and trying to figure out how can we get the most amount of students? How can we do the most amount of good? And as a result, they've brought into the fold Kellogg and then Stanford. Now, this is great, I think, in a lot of ways for applicants and prospective students in the sense that there are more options to apply to consortium and to these programs, and it certainly can be great for the schools as well, as many of them have the intention of partnering with the consortium because they want to diversify their student body and bring people into the fold that they might not have gotten otherwise. It will be interesting to see because these are two of the highest, these two high strength schools that have come into the consortium fold, and it will be interesting to see how that impacts, particularly for folks who do identify as diverse and underrepresented. The second underrated story is a couple different ones combined together, but really just some of the curriculum upgrades that are happening across MBA programs in the United States. There was a number of articles that came out about this in the fall, and I'll just I'll link them in the show notes, and I'll, I'll do a preview about a, a couple of them. So the first one is from UC Berkeley Haas, and this article was in the Wall Street Journal, and it's titled, The Class Where Future Bosses Learn How to Deliver Bad News. This is a, cl- a story about a class that is taught at Berkeley that really focuses on how do you deliver challenging and difficult feedback? How do you deliver bad news? How do you communicate in challenging moments and times? And they use a lot of scenario-based role-playing as well as live action and rapid feedback to really teach people some of the skills you need to actually navigate the workplace. A lot of times if you talk to students about classes, one of the reasons why some students like classes is because it is directly applicable or directly related to something that happens each and every day. While these things don't necessarily happen each and every day, they are a reality of the workplace. And so I think this is an interesting class, and I think this is particularly, it sounds like particularly valuable for the students who were quoted in the article, and I can totally see and understand that. The second one is from the New York Times, and the article is titled, Have the Anti Capitalists Reached Harvard Business School? The subtitle is Social Justice Joins Discounted Cash Flows on the Syllabus as Essential Knowledge for Aspiring Corporate Leaders. The upshot here is that uh, there are now classes at Harvard uh, taught by Professor Deborah Spar, which teaches the Why We saw After course called Capitalism in the State. And this is an interesting shift, if you will, in towards thinking about what are some of the classes that are being taught to really educate the next generation of CEOs, leaders, et cetera, for the world of work that they're going to be entering. It hasn't taken a rocket scientist to realize that over the past few years, CEOs and leaders have had to deal with a lot of things that they probably would not have had to deal with previously or just did not come on the radar. In addition to that, I think recently, more than as a result of COVID-19, but even before that, if we think about the ESG movement, there have been a lot more questions just around what is business and what is capitalism and what does that mean for the rest of us as leaders, as members of society, as members of the community, etc. And so I think it is interesting to see that some of these classes are making their way in inroads into the MBA landscape. I have the feeling based off of my own anecdotal conversations and just my own friends in business school that there is definitely an appetite for learning about these classes and thinking about these things. And certainly there is a clear kind of interest in, on one hand in things like ESG and sustainability and doing well and doing good, and there there always has been. That said, there definitely are some folks on the other side of the aisle who don't necessarily feel the same way. And it is really interesting to read some of this article and to kind of hear some of the different and diverse points about this. And I, I do think it is interesting just knowing that the impact that a school like HBS has had on what we consider as modern day business of capitalism to teach a class like this. If anything, I do think it's valuable to have these types of classes to really spur in conversation and thinking for the students who are in them. Another one that came up was around how Wharton's MBA program welcomes two new majors and concentrations. So one in DEI, and then one in in environmental, social, governance factors for business. And I think one of the interesting things that you're starting to see a lot with schools now is that they are starting to differentiate and double down on things that they're either clearly a differentiator for them or what they want to be a differentiator. And it sounds like, at least in the case of Wharton, these two are something that they're trying to double down and differentiate themselves in. Okay, so there were plenty of other kind of curriculum upgrades, but those are the three main ones I wanted to cover. Another underrated story that I wanted to bring to light was that in October, of this 2022, the Graduate Management Admission Council appointed a new CEO. Joy Jones takes over from forward Sanjeet Chalfa as the head of global associations representing the leading graduate business schools. GMAC is the global association of leading graduate business schools, announced the appointment of the new CEO. And so, why that is interesting and why that could be compelling for the future is that as many of you all know, GMAC is in the one that administers the GMAT exam. And as many of you probably know, over the past couple of years, there have been a lot of alterations in the test policies and expanding the aperture for what counts as a standardized test to getting into business school. And so it will be interesting to see what Joy does as she takes over the GMAC and what direction she takes uh, the organization in and she currently was their chief product officer and the GMO of assessments, something that she's held for the past five years. So she's not a stranger, if you will, but she is entering at a time when there are many that are out there who are curious about the future role that standardized testing is going to play in MBA admissions, and even for that matter, in other types of undergraduate and graduate admissions as well, because there certainly are movements in other places around this too. And then the last story that I'm going to cover that was a little underreported and came in right before the buzzer of December in 2022 is and comes from from the MBA Roundtable, which is a association of leaders from top MBA programs across the world. But they came out with a survey in conjunction with Wiley. Some of the findings they found from evaluating some of the test optional policies were you know, when they looked at their student body, they found it to be They found they got improved qualifications of leadership, social influence, creativity, originality, and initiatives. And while most survey respondents reported no change in most skills when considering how test-optional policies impact the student body, a significant number saw an impact in those areas. The other thing that came from it was that the application volume and the diversity of students at many business schools have increased as a result of the test-optional policy. This is also interesting in that as schools look to diversify their applicant base, one of the ways they figured that they could do this is through changing and making the policy test optional. So when you pair this study and this kind of sentiment with the announcement I just made about there being a new CEO of GMAC, it is going to get really interesting to see how moving forward as we move forward and hopefully to outside of COVID, what test policies look like for MBA programs in the future and what GMAC does in order to respond as they think about this. Okay, so those are some of the top stories in the landscape from this year, a couple unreported ones. And before we close out on this episode, I actually just wanted to do a quick mailback. So I have a couple questions that came in that I want to talk about and share and hopefully give advice on in case some of you are dealing with these yourself. So... The first question I get is from an MBA applicant who says, I'm struggling with my applications, particularly with any type of question that involves me self-reflecting. I know that self-reflection is important, but I just find it hard to do. How do I self-reflect in a way and write an essay that is unique to me and doesn't sound trite? So this is a really good question, and it's definitely something I have seen in a lot of different areas, both in the MBA application process, but also just in terms of the job search in general. Sometimes trying to reflect to come up with answers and practice can be really hard. If self-reflection was easy, everyone would do it, but they don't because it can be hard sometimes. And just telling someone to self-reflect or to be authentic isn't always as helpful because it doesn't really isn't really prescriptive. And so I want to offer a couple suggestions to this person for how they can maybe dig a little deeper, maybe can practice a little self-reflection, but to do so through some pretty practical tips. So, first and foremost, I would say number one, write down stories. Write down stories about yourself. Just find stories about yourself over the years. It can be work, it can be non work, it can be anything in between, but memorable stories that really articulate who you think you are or say something about you. Just write them all down. And and, and, and once you write a bunch of them down, really to gritty, you can go through them and see what comes up and see what sticks. I think. This is one of those things where you probably know some of these intuitively and they're probably in your head. But if you just take the chance to write some of those things down, they'll start to become some themes that kind of bubble up or things that you can pull out of them or expand further on. The other thing I think you should do is take a look at this past six months or maybe even year. We'll say year. Write down what you did at work and what you learned from each of those things. Those could be projects, initiatives, programs that you've launched, etc. But write them all down and write it down, and then write what you learned from that experience. Maybe even write like the highs or the lows. This, is again, is a pretty tactical and granular thing, but I think what it'll do is that the sheer act of writing it down and the sheer act of having to really be specific about things will start to bubble up some ideas for you. And then the last piece of feedback I'd give would just be around get some feedback. Do a 360-degree feedback survey. It's a pretty simple process, but all you need to do is come up with a couple questions, find about five to 10 people who know you well, ask them all the same questions and collect the feedback. You can ask questions, what are my strengths? Where have you seen me use these strengths? What's something about me that makes me unique and why? What do you go for me and for advice for? What do you think my personal brand is? But if you take some of those questions, ask about 10 people and look at the answers, I think you'll be able to come up with some themes that really help you out. So if you're struggling with applications and trying to talk about yourself in an authentic way, those are my three tips for how to go about doing that. Okay. I hope that was helpful. And a reminder, if you do have any other questions that you want to ask, send me an email or find me on LinkedIn and shoot me a note. I'll try to find a couple times over the course of the next few months to answer all these either on the show or I'll reach out to you directly to answer. Okay. That wraps up this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Thank you so much for listening and have a great 2023.